Let's continue standing for our scripture reading this morning from the book of Galatians once again, the final section, verses 11 through 18. And uh, I'll go ahead and read this as you follow along in the board together. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we ask you to open our ears now and be attentive to your word as I try to explain its significance and apply it to our hearts as only you can. Lord, help us to see the beauty of these principles so that we will love them and have a will to obey them. Lord, help us to see the truth that we will know you. Help us to to be closer to you as a result. Lord, I pray this morning that you would move me aside because there is no strength in myself. There is no ability in, in any rhetoric that I have or any skill that I may possess, any wisdom I think I have. Lord, I can't create an, a new creation. I can't even make myself new. Lord, only your spirit can do that. And so this morning, as we work our way through the last verse of this text, I pray that you will attend to us, that you will speak to us through your word, that we will leave with a higher view of God than what we had when we came, or that our ears will be open, our hearts will be attentive, and that you will make us willing servants. It is in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When I first began writing out the sermon for this text, I in no way anticipated it was going to take us three weeks to get through it. But I promise you, today is the last sermon through Galatians. So we are going to be done with Galatians today. And then from there, um, I thought about just uh, kind of going over a few weeks. Uh, you know, we always have that little tagline, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. I thought I'd take a few weeks uh, just to go over that for the sake of, uh, just for memory, number one, for the sake of some of our, our uh, new uh, friends who have been attending so they can see what we're about. And, uh, and just to give us a reminder and kind of a way forward uh, as we look to the future after covid uh, assuming it's ever going to end. I don't know if it's ever going to end at this point, but, uh, but the Lord will go on and so will his ministry and so will we. So we want to we look at that. I thought about, and I'm still working on it, doing a series for the Holy Spirit. We talked about the deity of Christ a while back. 
uh, whenever it was being attacked. And so, um, so I thought about uh, just helping us become a little more familiar with the Holy Spirit, talk about things like spiritual gifts and, and how the Spirit actually works in us today and in the church and how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word and how that looks and what that looks like. And, uh, and after all that, we're going we're gonna to take a journey through 1 Peter. And so uh, don't know the exact time frame for those things, but, uh, but that's kind of my, my general direction that we're going in. So, uh, so Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. This is, as you well know by now, the final section of the book of Galatians. And, um, and just for those of you who were not here, you recall that he brings out that he is writing in huge letters. Um, some people think he's saying that because uh, perhaps he had some eye trouble and perhaps he was hard of seeing, which that could very well be the case. But um, as I've mentioned before, the Holy Spirit knew that we would not have access to Paul's handwritten document. And so he inspired him to make reference to the fact that he's writing this in large letters, which is kind of a marquee saying, this is important. This is important. Pay attention to this. Kind of like when you text somebody in all caps that you're, you want them to see this, you're emphasizing this. And what Paul is emphasizing is these four last takeaways from the book of Galatians. We've been in this study now, uh, taking breaks here and there because of circumstances, but we've been in this study for a year now. And, and during that time, uh, you've probably forgotten a lot of things. You've probably, uh, a lot of things that were emphasized have maybe gotten a little rusty. And, and so Paul, in writing this letter, he says, okay, if there's anything you take away from the book of Galatians, if you take away anything from this study, here are four takeaways that I want you to remember. And he, and again, he's emphasizing this with large letters. He wants us to have these down, uh, which is why I've taken my time. I didn't want to rush through it. I wanted to make sure that we catch Paul's emphasis. Uh, and so it's taken us three weeks, but that's okay. And so, uh, so looking at this, you may remember in verses 12 through 13, the first takeaway was that we must have wise discernment. If we are going to remain faithful in the gospel, which is the entire theme of the book of Galatians, is to remain faithful in the gospel. Don't slip into the ditch of legalism. And even though he didn't talk about it a lot, we talked about not slipping into the ditch of license either. We're not free to sin, but we also have no ability in ourselves to earn God's favor. Those are two separate ditches we want to avoid. If we want to remain faithful in the gospel, the number one we've got to recognize is those who are not teaching the gospel faithfully. There is a, there is a concern for truth among those who are remaining faithful in the gospel. Secondly, he told us that the second takeaway in verses 14 and 15 is that we must have confidence in Christ alone. How easy it is, beloved, how easy it is, Christian, to start thinking that we're doing okay in our own strength. How easy it is to slip into this mentality that, that we, we are doing good and, and that we don't need redemption in certain areas of our life. And those are usually the areas that we tend to criticize others in because, because I'm okay here, this person's not, and we tend to kind of judge them for that. That's how you can often spot that in your own life. We must have total confidence in Christ alone. There is no righteousness of our own 
that brings us closer to God. So that's second takeaway. Third takeaway is that we must have a gospel response. Those who walk according to this rule that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only a new creation. Those who walk according to this rule, they have the peace of God and they are the people of God. And so we must have a gospel response. There must be repentance and there must be faith, which is really two sides of the same coin. We turn from sin and self. We turn to Christ, Christ alone for our salvation. And that finally brings us to the last point where he says in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And what we see if we're going to remain in biblical faithfulness, then faithfulness to the gospel, then we must insist on biblical leadership. We must insist on biblical leadership. You know, in fact, the book of Galatians, the entire book really boils down to that, doesn't it? The whole problem at Galatians was that they were following the wrong leaders. They were following false teachers. They were following Judaizers and legalists who were wanting to bring them back to the law. And Paul is saying, don't let anyone cause me any more trouble from here on out. They were, Paul is pleading with them and and even mentioned one more time in verses 12 and 13 to be discerning, but discernment is not only negative, looking out for false teachers, but discernment is also looking for biblical teachers, looking for biblical teachers. So there's a negative aspect to it, which has been, in all honesty, the focus of Galatians, but there's also a positive aspect to it to where you want people who are going to teach you the word. You know, um, this verse may come across a little self-serving for Paul. He says, don't let anyone cause me any more trouble. And, but we're gonna see that there's a little more heart to it than that. And so Paul did ask them, Let no one cause me trouble. He's pleading with them after this letter, pleading with us after this long study, pleading with God's people after 2,000 years to learn our lesson. Don't be fooled into legalism again. Don't be fooled into false teaching. Come out from under their influence. He says, don't let anyone trouble me. Don't let anyone trouble me. What does he mean by that? Well, if you, if you go back to the rest of Galatians, you can see what's been troubling Paul. In fact, uh, just a quick tour back through the book. Look back in chapter one, verse six. He says to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly leaving the gospel by which you were called. In chapter three, verses one through six, he begins by saying, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who who has enticed you? In chapter four, verse 11, I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Looking on down in chapter four, verses 15 and 16, he says, what then has become of our blessed, of your blessedness? Uh, he, he says in verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling the truth? In fact, in chapter five, verse 12, we have that very troubling thing he says. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. 
Now, it's very clear that Paul was troubled not for his own sake. Paul is asking them not to trouble him anymore, not so that his life will be easy. Paul knows that a call to ministry is a call to suffering. A call to ministry is a call to sacrifice. He's not saying, hey, guys, go easy on me. That's not the point here. The point here is that Paul is saying, I don't want to be troubled over you anymore. Learn your lesson. Come back to the gospel and don't follow these false teachers anymore. His goal was not to get them on his side, per se, as much as it is is that they would stay with Christ. That's the goal of every biblical leader. That's the goal of every godly teacher, not that you'll take my side. Listen, there's things that I believe that Some of you guys disagree with. That's okay. My goal is not to get you over to my side of the theological argument. My job and my calling is to get you over to Christ. Not here to call you to Calvin. I'm not here to call you to Arminius. I'm not here to call you to Luther. I'm not here to call you to, you know, pick any name. I'm here to call you to Christ. And that's the concern. That's Paul's concern here. To call them to Christ. He's saying, don't let anyone cause me trouble anymore because I want to know that you are secure in your faith. That's the issue. And by the way, Paul's priority was not that they would keep doing church the way he liked. That was not his priority either. I imagine all the churches had different idiosyncrasies that they did, various things here and there. The Jerusalem church probably looked a lot different from the Antiochian church that looked a lot different from the Samaritan church that looked a lot different from the Gentile churches. Paul's goal was not that the people would do the church the way he liked. His priority was for their soul. His priority was for their holiness and that, that true holiness that only comes from Jesus Christ. That is the heart of God's true shepherds. That is the heart. That's the heart of those whom you should be looking for, for biblical encouragement and leadership. In fact, uh, Philippians chapter two, verses one through two, here's what he says. He says, so there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, watch this, look what he says, complete my joy. Oh, beloved, you wanna know how to make your pastor happy? You wanna know how to show pastor appreciation? You wanna know how to bring joy to my heart? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what completes the joy of Paul. That's what completes the joy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And he goes on, he says, let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want to camp out there for a minute because very often that verse is used to suggest that you should never question your pastor. 
okay, that, that you should never question your deacons. You should never question your elders. Unquestioned loyalty. You know, especially if you go to some of these uh, more kind of fundamentalist churches, you'll, you'll have pastors who will use that verse and kind of beat over the head that says that pastors should never be questioned, pastors should never be disagreed with, uh, that, you know, or, or even censured for that matter. You'll, you'll see them using stuff like that. No room for disagreement, no room for disagreement, no room for conversation, not even any room for any accountability. If you keep track of what's going on in Christian ministries lately, you'll, you'll know what that kind of free reign, what kind of disaster that can lead to. When apologists are allowed to go around without any accountability whatsoever, it can be disastrous. And so that's not what this is talking about. What's he saying here? The context of this passage is pursuing righteousness. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that you should pursue righteousness, pursue holiness, pursue godliness. And those who watch over your soul genuinely, they will rejoice when they see you pursuing godliness in your life. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about let them do this with joy as they see you growing in your faith, as they see you maturing in the Lord, as they see you serving uh, in the community and serving in the church. Let them do this with joy. Pursue righteousness. Don't fall into sin. Don't fall into despair. That's what that's talking about. It's not, it's not talking about unquestioned loyalty. Beloved, I don't want that. I don't want a bunch of yes men just affirming everything I say. It's not talking about unquestioned loyalty. It's talking about growing in your faith. You know, one of the greatest joys I have is when I go to the hospital and visit one of our church members and they tell me, well, you know, brother so-and-so has already been here this morning and what an encouragement he was. I've actually had members before apologize to me for getting to the hospital before I got there. Why are you apologizing for that? Nothing gives me greater joy than to see that. I, I love seeing that. I love seeing you guys uh, doing things like that, doing ministry. Follow, when, when you give up a sin in your life, when you're growing in your faith, beloved, that brings me such incredible joy. That's what Hebrews is talking about. It's not talking about unquestioned loyalty. Beloved, that's dangerous. What is the old saying? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. No, I need, I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to God first, but I'm accountable to you as your pastor. And listen, there are things that I'm strong in. There are things that I'm weak in. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not, there, there, the areas where I'm weak, I'm very weak. There are some things I do okay. There are some things I do very well. You know, I try to do the things I'm, I'm okay at better and the things I'm really weak in, I try to delegate. I don't always do that very well. Here's my point. I don't want Calvary Baptist Church to look like Randy Scott. That would be a disaster, amen? I expected a bigger amen than that. <laughs> I want Calvary Baptist Church to look like Jesus Christ. And how that happens is that we all come together, blending our strengths and weaknesses together to where you are strong, someone else is weak. When they're weak, you're strong. Where they're, when you're weak, and you, you get the point. 
That's how the church is designed. Look what uh, 3 John says, 3 John 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, my goal is not to make you subservient. My goal is for you to be holy. And you know what? Sometimes you're gonna be better than I am. There are, there are some in this church that I just look at them and I think, man, I wish I could be as holy as they are. They're examples to me. We're, we're in the same boat. We're all in this together. And so, so, don't, so don't take that in the way that some people use that. The point of biblical leadership is holiness, growth, numerical growth, all of those things will take care of itself. Christ will build his church. He has called us to be holy, to be righteous. Let them watch over your soul with joy as they watch and growth, uh, as they watch your growth and holiness. It's, the goal is not to be a big church. The, the, the goal is to be a holy church. It's to be a holy place. And Paul, in order to do that, points to his own example at the end of verse 17. He says, for I bear in my bodies the marks of Jesus. Now, this word marks is stigmata. Have you guys ever heard of that before? Stigmata, some of the medieval mystics would claim that they got so close to Christ that they, you know, the scars of Jesus Christ's crucifixion would appear on their bodies. They would start getting little scars from their head, from the crown of thorns and, and stuff like that. It's a bunch of nonsense. Paul's not saying that he has the literal marks of Jesus' crucifixion. He's talking about his own scars. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Paul was a marked man. Why do you think he was so easy to recognize when he went into towns? All you had to look for was the guy with bumps and bruises and scars all over his body. You just look for the guy that's beat up. You know, he's not wearing Armani. He's not, he's not arriving in a $65 million jet. I imagine he went to some places barely able to stand on his feet because he was bruised from the stoning from the night before. He was a marked man. In fact, uh, it's really interesting when you read firsthand accounts of the Council of Nicaea, because this is only like 10 years after one of the most vicious uh, persecutions in the Roman Empire. And a lot of the people who showed up would show up with missing arms and missing appendages and fingers that were gone and, and scars all over their body and all this kind of stuff. That, and Paul says, these are not my scars. These are the marks of Jesus. Every scar he got, they were, he wore them like symbols of ownership. Just like when a slave is branded and saying that this one now belongs to me, each and every scar that Paul had was a mark of ownership that he belonged to his Lord, Jesus Christ. He didn't use them to, to brag or boast. Guys, have you ever kind of gotten a scar on your face or something like that and used it to kind of impress the ladies? You ever done that? Am I the only one? Okay, so that's, that's not what Paul is doing. He's not using it to, to bring attention to himself. He says every scar he has is a brand mark of Jesus Christ on my body. And it's a mark of his ownership over me. 
Paul said to them, don't let anyone trouble me. I belong to Jesus. That doesn't mean that we seek out persecution or we look for persecution where it isn't. But beloved, it does mean that we die to self. It does mean that we die to ourself and dying to self is painful. Biblical leadership is an example of that perfectly. No, no, we'll never be perfect. Not until we get to heaven. I hope I'm a little better than I was last year and I hope last year I was a little better than the year before. I know it doesn't always work out that way. Perfectly, no. But the more and more we grow in Christ, the more and more we will die to self. They are in separately linked. Sacrifice is built in. And so biblical leadership is gonna do two things. Number one, it's gonna teach what Jesus taught. It's gonna teach what Paul taught. It's gonna teach what Peter taught. And, and it's going to do that without apology. It's going to do that without exception. Doesn't mean that there are some debatable issues. Yes, that is true, but they're going to teach those things to the best of their understanding. And they're going to be striving for Christ's likeness and encourage you to do the same. They're not going, biblical leadership is not going to tell you that you can have your best life now. Biblical leadership is not going to tell you to become a better you. If you think about it, the trouble is in the title. If your best life is now, that means you're going to hell. Biblical leadership is not gonna tell you that. They're going to encourage you to die to self. They're gonna encourage you to be like Christ. Beloved, when it comes to eternal matters, you need someone who will teach you the truth. And those are the kinds of teachers we should be looking for. The Galatians, they had come across these teachers that impressed them with their ascetic and their legalistic lifestyle. It looked really good. And they said, man, I want to look as good as they do. And they bought into it. Today, teachers are on television telling you that you can sow a seed and you can have boats and fancy cars and big houses and all that. And people look at that and say, man, I want all of that. And they fall into it. They, they're, they're tickling their ears telling them what they want to hear so that they can build a crowd. Listen, beloved, we don't need to be intimidated by them. We don't need to be intimidated by the, the, the bigger churches, the flashier churches. Nothing wrong with those things, not in and of themselves. But beloved, anybody can build a crowd. Only Jesus Christ can build a church. And we want to be a church. Amen? We want to be a crowded church, yes. But we want to be a church, first and foremost. And so if you want to be part of a church, the first thing you need to do is you have to know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You cannot be a part of a church. if You, you cannot be a part of a local church if you're not in the church. 
And the only way you're in the church is if you know Christ as your savior. He came and he died the death that you deserve so that you can have the life that he wants to give you. He rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of God so he can offer himself to you as a deliverer from the wrath of God, his own wrath, as a rescue from your sin. In the church, we have a word for that. It's called a savior. And he wants to save you. He wants to rescue you from your sin and his own wrath. And then from there, you announce your new birth in Christ through baptism. You show the world, you, you profess your faith before the world. You, profess, you identify with Jesus Christ in baptism. And you can, become part of, you can become part of a church. You can go join any crowd you want. But beloved, only in, the, only in the church, only in a true church will you hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what you should be looking for. Don't, there's all kinds of teachers out there who will tickle your ears, who will manipulate you, who will ask for your money, who will do all of this. Don't, don't fall into that. If you've learned anything from Galatians, please learn these four takeaways that we will remain faithful in the gospel. And with Paul, we say, we preach Christ and him crucified an offense to the world, a stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who are being saved, both the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what we want in our church. So if you are here and you wanna be a part of that, I would love to talk to you. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these takeaways you have given us as reminders Lord, as we come to the end of this study of Galatians, I am reminded of so many challenges you have given me. I'm reminded of so many places of conviction. I'm reminded of uh, so many places where I've had to make adjustments to my own life and my own faith. Lord, I pray that's been the case of all of us, but also I pray that we have rejoiced in the truth. Lord, where else would we go? For you and you alone have the words of life. And that's exactly what we want to hear. And if there's one here this morning who does not know you as Savior, I pray today would be the day you draw them to yourself, that they may have life in Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this last hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains.